Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard. Today I want to talk about uh, troubleshooting and in particular ground faults, but uh, not just ground faults. And I know that for some of you who are not in the fire alarm business, you go, what's a ground fault? Who cares? Why does this matter? Well, actually, it all relates back. Uh, it doesn't really matter what trouble you're troubleshooting. Uh, it it really doesn't. Um, ground faults in the fire alarm world are probably one of the more uh, tricky issues, and uh, everybody when they hear that term, uh, sort of gets a chill in their spine. Rightfully so. They can be uh, they can re- be real bears. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm in my late fifties. I'm uh, fifty eight. So I'm you know on the on the tail end of my career, and I've been a technician for. Uh, over 40 years. So uh, my initial training came from the Navy, as you all know. And um, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't a technician right off the bat when I when I uh, when I enlisted and went off to school, I was an operator. And there was a big difference between technicians and operators at that time. The piece of equipment I worked on was built in 1959. So or designed and operational in 59. By the time I saw it in 1983, it was uh, old. It it made a lot of noise. It was um, not modern <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. It had cathode ray tubes or CRTs. It had uh, what we call synchro servos. You would uh, you would liken those to stepper motors in today's world. But um, at the time, we didn't have stepper motors. We didn't have the computer technology that we have now. And so what a synchro servo was, was a, a made by the Singer Sewing Machine Company. You turned a knob you know, at your equipment inside the ship, and it would move an antenna a corresponding number of degrees 100 or 200 or 300 feet away. And it was absolutely accurate to the, to the degree or to the tenth of the degree in some cases. So... Uh, there was there were in order to get that all to work, there were things called magnetic amplifiers and and then the synchro servos and all that good stuff. It was really quite a machine. But I didn't tech it as much as I operated it. And operating it took a lot of skills, but it was pretty obvious that the technicians I was in company with uh, were were highly skilled at what they did. Now, this machine had tubes and transistors and resistors and high voltage power supplies and you know a lot of fans and it it, it was it was a it was not something uh, that would fit in one room I'll put it to you that way it was a big machine if you want to look it up on the internet it's called a WLR-1 so uh, we call it a Whirly 1 and it's not a classified machine it was on the USS Pueblo when it was taken by the North Koreans so the machine is just uh, out there and it's just a big receiver so I watched the technicians when they worked on this thing, and because it was so old, it rarely broke. And, and I want to say that again. Te- in, the, in the Navy, something that has been around a long time has been modified and modified and modified and modified and modified and made 
bulletproof. So by the time you work on it and this machine is 20 or 30 years old, we know every single fault it's going to have. You're going to have to be stupid to hurt this machine to the point that uh, you know it's going to take an expert to come fix it. For the most part, all those troubles are known. All the problems are, are known. All the right adjustments can be made pretty easily, and everybody knows what they are, and the, and the books will tell you. But watching the technicians when they did have to work on this thing or align it uh, is when I did start to finally you know, pick up the tools and begin to, to kind of work on that machine and some of the lesser receivers that we had, the stuff that was okay if I broke, right? Um, but I really had never tacked except from what they taught me in school, the basic stuff you had to do. And eventually I re-enlisted and went back to uh, work on the next generation of machines, which was computerized. And it was a hybrid machine. It had a computer that operated uh, uh, some analog equipment. And that's where my exposure to actually being a technician, a real technician, came from. And there was a lot of pride in, in being a good technician, but not a lot of pride in being a good operator, And in, in, at least in, in my world where I was at. Um, I actually excelled as an operator because the operations uh, kept you from being a missile sponge, as we called it. Um, if you knew what you were doing and you were on your game, you could at least give a heads up that we're, we're, we're about to get hit. Uh, the next piece of equipment that I went to work on, the one that I became a technician on, was much faster. It could look 360 degrees at once. It was, it was 10 times uh, the machine that the original one was, but it had some limitations as well. But that was my exposure to really being a technician and then kind of taking a back seat to being an operator because you really, really there were very few people I knew that were good at both. And I knew I knew how to operate fairly well, but I didn't know if I really could technician very well. So this was my first exposure. Now I can go through the schools and I could go through the theory, but what would happen when I would get out to the fleet and then actually have to apply this, and what were my skills gonna be like? And the first ship I got to after going to that school, I thought, man, this is it. This is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut my teeth on this equipment, I'm gonna be the technician's technician, I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna be better than everybody else, you just watch and see. And I get there and they, they say, well, uh, you're the highest ranking guy on board right now, so you get to be the leader. You're not gonna tech squat, you're gonna, you're gonna lead people. And I, I just was like, ugh, oh no. And is really how I felt. It was I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, I just somehow skipped over the being the technician. What, what the heck happened here? I got the short end of the stick. That's not really what happened uh, all the way through, but but uh, it it's it definitely curtailed uh, my abilities to technician right off the bat. But my skills as an operator. Uh, obviously excelled because now I had to train everybody else on how to operate and be good at what you did. Uh, and I had to learn this new piece of equipment and what it was like in the fleet. And this ship had the old equipment on it as well. But since I couldn't tech the old equipment, the stuff I had originally learned um, to operate, uh, I could see its failings and its limitations and there was nothing I could do about it. I didn't have time to even open up the cabinets, nor did I have the skill sets to work on. And it really, really bothered me. So uh, a couple years after 
uh, being on that ship when I left and went to another command, uh, that other command that I wound up going to, and it was one of the last commands I, I served under, that command was a combination of all of it. You would be an operator, you would be a technician, and you would be a leader of people. And of course, by the time I got there, uh, I had teched enough to, to kind of know what I was doing, but I would still look at the technicians who were really good and go, oh, man, if I would only be, and I'll mention a couple of names, if I could be like Ron Seeker, who was an ET I knew, who could fix anything he could touch, with that, that it was radar, or um, or uh, uh, John uh, McConnell, who was, you know, a an EW, electronic warfare technician, technician like I was, but he could actually fix HF uh, transmitters and transceivers like nobody's business. Well, the more I worked with these guys and the more I saw what they did and the more I began to tech and, and understand some of the equipment and then begin to really absorb all of the training that the Navy had given me over the years. And there were times when I could put away leadership and I could put away operations and I could put away intelligence and I could put away all these other things and I could just focus on trying to fix equipment. Uh, I really I really began to think, uh, maybe maybe I'm I'm never going to be as good as some of these people. Maybe I'm always going to be wanting and never really knowing if I'm going to fix anything. How the heck am I ever going to know? Uh, I held my own. I could fix my own share of equipment, but I always was looking enviously, I should say, at some of the other folks that I'd worked with because I just knew that that they seemed to have it all together. They just, they just didn't matter what problem you threw at them, they could solve it. And I wanted to have that. And eventually there was equipment that I worked on that I became really, really proficient in. And I began to get, you would, you would call it a mastery of that equipment. And a couple of, couple of pieces of equipment I could rattle off, no one would know what they were. You know, I, I, I began to kind of understand what it was and, and what it was to know it and to understand it and to, and to wrap your head around it and be able to be proficient at it. But there was always something I felt that was lacking. Um, and it was the, the experience that I'd always wanted to just be put in a position where all I'm going to do is tech this piece of equipment from one end to the other until I know it like the back of my hand. And, and I and as much as I did on a couple of smaller pieces of equipment and some minor stuff, it just wasn't, it just didn't scratch that edge, right? I eventually get out of the military. I, I do my, my almost nine years and I bounce and I move up, uh, up to the Northwest and um, I threw these resumes out and everybody's gonna hire me because I can work on all this equipment and um, no, one, no one gave a rip, no one hired me to do anything. So eventually I fell into photocopiers and I thought, oh, man, photocopiers, how's this going to go? Well, by golly, there's your chance to excel as a technician. So those I did, those I excelled at, and, um, and I met a plethora of technicians who were absolutely killers at this. And I began to pick up these skill sets that, that these guys had. And I began to really, really tech um, and and scratch that itch. And in a couple of years working on photocopiers, you could easily separate the 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 men from the boys in that game and figure out who really knew what was going on and who was just trying to who was just stumble bunny their way through it. 
uh, I picked up a lot of good skills, a lot of good skills. And most of them came out of Pacific Office uh, Automation, which is still a company that's around and uh, one that folded called Commercial that really, really could could teach a person how to how to think on their feet. And um, combine that with what the Navy trained me on. And I was uh, I had a lot of, of skill sets that I, I just didn't realize uh, I had the potential uh, to, to use. And uh, the more I, I started working on on uh, on more technical and bigger machines and and stuff that that really, really, really uh, tore into your soul, uh, the more I would wind up with some bizarre problems that you just didn't see very often. And those are the ones that, you had to step back and and reevaluate your life choices. Okay, those are the those are the problems when you run into a machine or a customer or a, or a situation where you you sit back and you go, did I did I make the li- the, the right life choice here? Perhaps I should have made donuts for a living or something. I mean, really. I mean, I, and I, I and I truly mean that. I've, I've run into some technical issues where I just scratched my head and just went, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to give up, but I'm going to have to give up on this. Well, the copier game definitely gave me some skill sets, but it, it didn't give me all the skill sets. And when I moved over to uh, uh, eventually to become a fire alarm technician, uh, that's not what I started with. I started with time clocks because I had a mechanical background of working on photocopiers. It was an easy fit to work on time clocks, which are all gear driven at that time. And um, uh, mechanics were something I, I never really excelled at. Matter of fact, if you watch me try to work on a car, uh, all you'll hear me do is cuss. That's 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 all cars are good for with me is just something I can cuss at. So I'm not a mechanic that's, that's going to work on your car engine worth a, a tinker's darn. But if it's a photocopier or time clock or something with gears that I can work on and tinker with and it's not, you know, I don't have to put a jack underneath it, I can probably figure it out. And uh, I'd probably figure out cars if I gave it a long enough chance. It just, it just is not my forte. Either way, uh, at Simplex, I, I really did get a, a, a sense of, yeah, I could, I could do this for a living, but when I got sucked into the fire alarm world, that's when it opened up my eyes to uh, uh, a different kind of troubleshooting. And I had likened my time in the Navy saying, well, you know, you're working on this big piece of equipment. Your problem could be up on the mast. Your problem could, your problem could be up in the ECM room, which is a, an area where most of your equipment's at. Or the problem could be in combat where your displays are, and that's where you're actually doing all the war fighting. So it could be there. It could be, you know, uh, several areas. You know, you need to start isolating and figure out what's going on and what equipment's being uh, affected by the by the fault. And you know, you you can start to analyze and work your way through the problems. Uh, when I went to photocopiers, then the problem was right there in front of me. If the photocopier could sit on a desk, it's gonna be in this two foot by two foot by one foot cube, right? That's where the problem's gonna be. How hard can it be if the problem is right here on the table in front of you? You don't have to go climb the mast to verify that. You don't have to, you know, uh, wonder, right? So uh, when I went into fire alarms, 
I was like, oh no, now I'm back to, well, gee, the problem could be here. The problem could be on the second floor. The problem could be on the 15th floor. The problem could be on the 37th floor. The problem could be on the wiring in the, in the, in the walls or in the chase. It could be a device. It could be anything. And that's a daunting feeling when you wake up one day and realize that, that do you have the, the tiger by the tail or does the, does the tiger have you by the tail, okay? Every single technician goes through this. Every single technician. And there's, uh, it, was, it was where I began to uh, truly realize that how I, I, I really can tech these things. Oh my gosh, I really do have some skill sets to bring to the table. Oh wow, I, I'm not as dumb as I think I are, right? So as I started to work on firearm systems, and I began just by inspecting them and blowing smoke and smoke detectors and understanding how they worked, and once again, going back into the operations game, you know, what is this machine supposed to do? How is it working? Can I verify that? And I realized that in the operations side of the house, you have to know how a machine works before you can fix it. Clue number one, if you don't know what the thing does, and you try to fix it, you're not fixing squat. Meaning if you go to fix a toaster and you don't know what a toaster is, you're not fixing a toaster, okay? You gotta know what a toaster does before you can fix it. And that's for anything that you're working on. Clarification of what the problem is, clarification of what the thing is doing or not doing. So I realized, oh my gosh, operations and, and understanding how this thing operates is always going to be helpful in into teching it because that's one of the first steps is to look at it and see what it is or is not doing correctly. Then the next thing is is to start to gather information and, and kind of, you know, feel out what's happening. And there's a whole set of procedures on how to do that. That's not what this is about. I'm, I'm not going to jump all into that because you guys are fall asleep and listen to this and crash and, and be lost. It's a whole thing. So, uh, but starting to, to assess what's going on with this machine, uh, in all of my years of, of troubleshooting, especially fire alarm systems, uh, and in especially ground, ground faults. And, and for those who are not familiar with how fire alarm systems and ground faults work, if you have a uh, firearm system and you've got a power supply in that firearm system, and I'm just going to take a basic, like maybe a simplex type fire alarm system, uh, imagine that the power supply creates tw uh, 24 volts. And imagine that above zero volts or ground, so above ground or zero volt potential, you have, say, 12 volts to the plus side and 12 volts to the minus side. Let's just imagine that. So the difference between 12 minus and 12 plus is 24 volts. All of the devices in the field operate off of 24 volts in most fire alarm systems. So as long as they're seeing 24 volts of potential, they operate, okay? They don't care. And since the devices are not grounded, they're all insulated from ground, they don't really care whether the 24 volts is split 12 and 12, or if it's 24 on one side or 24 on the other, meaning 24 above zero volts or 24 below zero volts, or 12 and 12 or one and 11, they don't care. As long as they get that 24 volt potential, they're happy. The panel itself 
it cares immensely. It really cares immensely. And the panel will begin to indicate, oh my gosh, I see that my uh, power supply, its reference is not correct, and I notice that I have a ground on the positive or the negative side. When you go to clear these things and to try to troubleshoot them, uh, you you can, I've seen technicians like break down and and just fall apart trying to work on these things because they just don't logically make sense. Herein lies the subject matter of of this of this uh, lecture tonight is that there's something that I wished the military uh, had taught in a way that uh, was as easy to understand as I hope I'm t as I hope I'm going to teach you today, and that is something called emotional intelligence. They incorporated that into their training. Uh, when I worked at the copier place, I don't remember anybody really talking about that from a technician's perspective, although I, I could totally be wrong. They may very well have. But um, when I worked at my last company uh, uh, as an ops manager, it was something that um, I needed to learn myself and to try to teach others because it made troubleshooting and managing and leading and dealing with meetings and dealing with people and dealing with stress um, much easier if if I knew uh, the basic tenets of this. And for a long time, uh, for those of you who knew me, uh, when I had my office, uh, one of my offices had no windows, which I loved, and I had four whiteboards on the wall. And on those whiteboards were my memory uh, and, and what was important to me. They were my to-do lists. They could be drawing, schematics, lists of jobs, who, whatever I needed to put on those, those, those boards went on those boards. And for a long time, I had emotional intelligence on that. So there's, uh, there's basically five tenets of this. And um, there's social skills, which are you know, being able to interact with people, uh, especially when you're working on something and it's not going well. Okay, When it's not going your way, and you then get emotional about it, and I am an emotional person, so this happens to me. If I don't have the skill sets to deal with that emotion, and I'm trying to do a job, and the job is particularly difficult, then it makes everything more difficult, right? So not everybody just wakes up one day and goes, well, I'm gonna act like an adult today, okay? Things can change. You could uh, not have slept well the night before. You could have had a baby. You know, your wife could have had a baby, or you could have had a baby. You know, and and we all know how babies keep everybody up. And you know, you're not getting enough sleep, and your boss yelled at you, and you had a flat tire in work, and you know, you're just not yourself. When you're not yourself, um, and you're trying to do a technical job, it just sort of compounds things. So make sure that you're aware of how you're interacting with other people and self-awareness is another part of emotional intelligence but it's make sure that you're aware of other people's feelings and your own feelings and if you're not really on your game then there may be some uh, you may need to do some things to sort of get on your game you may need to take a break you may need to meditate you may need to go listen to music i don't know what you have to do whatever works for you i'm not a business as i do 
I have horses and the other day I'm working at my barn and I have pins I have to keep on the on the stall close the stall doors otherwise the horses can push them open because the locks just don't hold them right I lost one of the pins to the stall door and I went I went nuts looking for this pen I mean I went nuts looking for this pen I couldn't find it anywhere I, and I and I, I didn't I don't know where I, I where I lost it. Well, how would I know where I lost it? Otherwise, it wouldn't be lost, right? So, I'm I'm my wife is is on the other side of the country, uh, uh, celebrating a birthday for uh, our grandkid, and and I'm by myself in the barn, losing my mind trying to find this dumb pin. It's a piece of metal, and I'm a 58 year old man losing my cool looking for a piece of metal, right? And I can't find it. I'm just going nuts uh, then I can't find a tool I know I have all my tools down there and one of my tools is missing and why would that one tool not be there when it's always there blah 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 and the horses did something that you know one broke something and I don't know because they're a thousand pound animals with with you know big hoofs and bouncing to stuff and they break things I mean come on man but I'm not seeing it that way and here I've been preaching and teaching and talking about uh, fixing technical stuff. And here I'm out with horses, which is not a necessarily a technical thing. I'm not troubleshooting a ground fault on a horse. But the same exact problem that I would have if I was working on a fire alarm system and I had a bad day is now happening to me in this barn now. And emotional intelligence is what I lacked at that time. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't piece things together, and I couldn't recognize the fact that I, I couldn't piece it together. Uh, eventually, I figured out something to hold the gates closed so that the horses wouldn't push it open, and I walked out and, you know, took care of other things. The next day, I walked back in the barn, and there's the pen, the pen I'm looking, the the pen I should say, P-I-N. I'm looking for right there on the ground. It's exactly the same color as the floor in the barn, which is mostly rock. And it looks like that same color. It wasn't where I expected. I have no idea how it got to where it got, but there it was right there in front of me. I must've walked over the thing a half a dozen times, but I didn't see it. I didn't notice it. And the tool I was looking for was in a bucket on a shelf above where the other tools were. I was so busy losing my marbles that I couldn't recognize the fact that, that I knew the answer was, was right in front of me, yet I refused to do all the things I would do if I was working on a fire alarm system to get out of tunnel vision. And tunnel vision is what is what you get. Technicians get it all the time. The problem's here, the problem's here, the problem's here. And you're like, no, no, it's not. And of course, I tell people to go talk to other technicians or go talk to your boss or call me or call somebody and explain to me why you think it is this issue. And generally, when you do that, you explain it. And about halfway through, you go, uh, never mind, I know what the problem is. I had tunnel vision. Well, emotional intelligence is a way of, of using your own awareness to recognize when you're not making sense to you, okay, to you. So now as a 58-year-old guy who's been teching for 40 years, and I have, I'm telling you as a technician who may or may not have 40 years worth of experience that if I can get 
tunnel vision and if I need emotional intelligence and I need to step back and understand and check myself in situations, you probably do too. So here's the clue. Look up emotional intelligence on the web and the one I'm looking at here just happens to say social skills, self-awareness, self-regulation, right? The ability to regulate your emotions, self-awareness, the knowledge of your own thoughts and feelings, social skills, being able to maintain healthy relationships, talking to other people, which in my case was a horse, but, but they still have, you know, feelings. Decision-making, the ability to make res uh, responsible choices and accept their outcome, and empathy, the capacity to empathize and appreciate another's perspective. Those are the five emotional intelligence points from this website. There are dozens of websites. You may get another perspective in another place. But emotional intelligence is a way for you to self, to, to look at your own self and recognize the shortcoming so that you can move past it and do what it is you're paid to do or do what it is that you need to do. In my case was to feed horses, right? I mean, it seems logical. Either way, this happened to me, it'll happen to you. It doesn't just happen to me at the horses, it happens to me in my personal life and it happens to me in my professional life. And the fact that I recognized it again and that I spent some time piecing this together is, uh, is relevant because what happens and how we handle that is what, what's going to separate all of us from being a, mm, he's a good technician to, he's a stellar technician, or mm, he's a good manager to, yeah, he's a stellar manager, or, hmm, you know, he's an all right, uh, he's an all right operator, but, you know, I've seen better to, that guy knows everything about, everything there is to know about this. And honestly, we all are sort of striving to become really good at whatever it is we do, whether it's, you know, driving or podcasting or fixing crap, who knows? So emotional intelligence is something I want you to keep in mind as you, as you tech things and as you work on stuff. And then when things don't make logical sense, and in my own case, um, we, you know, when I couldn't find the pin, for example, or I couldn't find my tool, I knew for a fact that these things had to be in front of me, yet I could not see them. How can I not see something that is clearly there the next day? How? How, how, how? How does my mind not perceive that and not see the tool? And I'm telling you, I looked for this particular tool and the pen, and they were not there. Well, nobody came and put the, the, the tool was in a bucket. Okay, it was an impact driver. It was in a bucket. The charger was below in the other tool bucket, and the drill was in the other tool bucket. So since they weren't all in one tool bag, I just perceived that one was missing. Now, where would it go? Would the horse take it? No. It's my own barn. Did somebody come in and just take the impact driver? Yeah, that's it. Somebody parachuted in took the impact driver and ran away with that. Didn't take the charger, just took the, the and it's 12 volt impact driver. So this is an old, 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 old Makita set. Matter of fact, so old and so small that when I pull it out, people ask me if it comes with a dollhouse. So you make your own assessments there. 
However, when you're going to drill something for eight hours, you want something light with enough torque to get the job done, and that's what this thing did. Yet, when I go back to the next day with a clean, fresh slate, I quickly find both of these items, okay? Recognize what's going on, guys, gals. Recognize, be, be in charge of your own emotions and be in charge of your own brain and recognize when these things are happening to you and also recognize that they don't just happen while you're in front of a customer or while you're trying to fix a fire alarm system or a burglar system or a card access system or a camera system. They happen all the time. They happen when you talk to your wife or you talk to your husband. They happen when you're dealing with your kids or you're dealing with your stepkids. They happen when you're dealing with your parents. They happen when you're when you're going to the store and you're in Home Depot and you cannot find what you're looking for and you know damn well it's right in front of you. It happens everywhere all the time to everybody. What separates us from the animals is that we can recognize this and then we can train ourselves to be better at it. And that's what this is about. If, when I teach, and I teach students, uh, one of the methods that I use in, in one of the classes I teach is I do mathematics, I do algebra. I hate math. I hate it with a passion. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not good at it. I know it. Students may or may not know it, but I'm, I just, I just, I'm just don't have a head for that. And that's okay. Right? That just, just the way I'm, I'm, I'm geared. While I'm up there in front of the students, I say, what's the equation we're going to use for this particular problem? I have the class interact with me, and I use whatever equation they shout out. If the equation is E over IR, great. Well, that's what we're going to do Ohm's Law. If they give me the equation e equals mc squared, we're going to be here for a long time because that probably isn't the right equation for doing mathematics on voltage drop, but who knows. Let's see if it'll uh, see if it'll fly. The other thing I do is I use the numbers that the students call out, whether it's right or wrong. And now I have done mathematics and I have done this enough to know that that's probably not the right number. I write it down anyway. I write it down anyway and I do it. And I do it all wrong in front of the students if I even if I know it's wrong all right and when we realize we've made a mistake as a class we correct it and we back all the way back up and we do it again and we figure it out and it engages the class and it engages the students and I'll do it over and over and over and over again and I do the mathematics the same way all the time I, I very rarely I don't look for cheats, I don't look for shortcuts, and I've, I've got tons of students I've had that are mathematicians who, who, know, who, who can do this stuff in their head. Well, I'm not that kind of a person. I, it takes me a while to figure all this stuff out. And even though I do it year after year, class after class, I, it's, it's, like, it's like I have to start from scratch again. And that's just because I'm just not mathematically inclined. And that's okay. But if I can make a mistake in front of a classroom full of students and they can watch me go into that mistake and then back out of it and correct it and then go and find the right answer, and I can do it in front of a classroom full of students, then they can do it on a test. Because that's it, a whole different dynamic. To do it in front of a bunch of people, they could potentially laugh at you, they could they can make you feel small, you could feel small about your own insecurities or 
you can be yourself and go, I'm okay. This is why I do what I do. If I can make a mistake in front of all you and you can watch me correct it and learn from that, then by God, when you sit down and take your test, you can also realize, hey, you've done all the self-checks and you made a mistake. Back out of it and fix it. It's no big deal. Same thing applies when you're troubleshooting. If you make a mistake and what you thought, you know, you order this part and, the, and you wait weeks for this part and it comes in and you install it and that didn't fix the problem, what are you going to do? How are you going to react? Is your boss going to get upset? Is the client going to get upset? Yeah, they could. They very well could. Are you going to get upset? Well, now you got three people upset. Your boss is pissed off. You're pissed off. The client's pissed off. Everybody's pissed off. The problem still exists. Now what? Now what? What the heck are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to read this bit on emotional intelligence. You're going to go to the web. You're going to sit down. You're going to figure this out. Right now, you could call for another technician. You could call for, you know, the, the best technician in the company and have them come in and help you with it. Or you can take Uncle Mike's suggestion here and back up and reevaluate what's going on. And there's a time when you have to go back to the very beginnings and re-troubleshoot stuff that you thought you already had the answer to because it's wrong. Okay. And that's okay. Because guess what? I've made that mistake. You're going to make that mistake. I'll make the mistake again. Everybody's going to make that mistake. There is no technician who walks up and fixes a problem every time, all the time, perfectly. And if someone's telling you that, that is bat squeeze. All right? It is bat squeeze. And if they're doing it now, they certainly weren't doing it 20 years ago. Everybody has a learning curve. And everybody has a threshold and everybody has a way of conditioning their brains to do the work that we do. Learn yourself. Learn what your brain needs. Learn what you need to do to become a better technician and to become somebody who can walk up and knock it out of the park each time you work in a system. And uh, where I work at now, up on the hill, I have uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of problems. Lots of things that go sideways, right? Some of it contractor related, some of it flood damage, you know, there's a million things that could go wrong in any given day. So when we have to put our troubleshooting hats on, um, you know, it's, it's time to get to work. We go out and do it. And for the most part, because of my experiences there and because of, of, um, of, um, of all the the stuff I'm bringing to the table, it's usually not that big of a deal. But trust me, I've got issues that pop up from time to time that I just can't easily solve. Uh, the only good thing I have is generally I have time on my side, meaning if I don't solve this problem today, if it's not a life safety issue, I can put it off until the next day or next week or whatever. But as a service technician working for a company, you don't have that luxury. I, because of the of the dynamic of the way I work and the, and the where I work, I have that luxury. But it doesn't mean I use it. It just means that it's there. Uh, worst case scenario, I can patch it and, and move on with their lives until I can get my head wrapped around it. And in the times when I have done that, I get home or I get to a point in my day or my night where I can think 
And oftentimes my brain will rest and I'll go, what was that problem? Oh, and I'll start start to noodle that problem in my head in a completely different dynamic, completely different room, Com, you know, completely not even anywhere near the hill. Start to thinking about it, and the and the answer or an answer or a test method pops in my head. Oh, I could do this. I could switch this for this and see if the problem moves. Bingo. The next day I can go in, sit down, talk to my apprentice. He and I can make up a plan and we'll go knock it out and see if that does it. Right. So, those types of 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 technical solutions, I want you to be thinking of. I want you to train your apprentice to be thinking in those in those ways. Okay, I want my apprentices to be thinking in those terms. I want my other journeymen that I work with to be thinking in those terms. And like I've always said, uh, for those of you who've ever taken my classes or listened to my podcast, I want my apprentices to stomp me in the ground when they get good. I want, and I don't mean that physically, I want them to eclipse me. I want them to be better than me. I want the next generation to tech faster, tech better, be better on their feet, be better thinkers, be emotionally intelligent, have their act together and be better technicians than the ones that taught me and that I am. That's what we should all strive for. And if you don't believe that, and if you don't think that that's what you should do, I want you to look at yourself as a parent. If you're a parent, do you want your kids to be better than you at whatever it is they do? I hope the answer is yes. I hope the answer is yes. If the answer is no, well, I don't know. This may not be the gig for you, right? But I certainly want them to be better than me. With the way that the world is going and the way that the egos and, and I should say world, but the way that the way that we look at some of the things in this world, especially with social media, you can watch people um, in their worst moments now because everybody's got a camera, everybody's got a microphone, everybody's got the ability to record. Uh, I, I, we'll just pick on Karens, right? Um, the 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 term of oh, uh, a Karen went crazy and. Uh, you know, lost it here, and here's this video. So I can go on Reddit or, or Twitter or whatever you have, and watch videos of of, of women melt. And I'm not picking on women. I'm just happen to choose that term. But you know, Karen's melting down over these situations. And as you watch these things unfold, you think, why is this person embarrassing themselves this way? In their mind, they're not. They're not. In their mind, they're completely sane. You're the one that's insane. You're the one that's not thinking clearly. You're the one with the problem. Otherwise, it wouldn't be screaming at you. Now, let's let, let's let that sink in for a second. <laughs> You're the one with the problem while they're screaming it at you. But you know damn good and well that that's not the case. In my own world, with my own uh, uh, relations with my own wife, I've had these moments where I'm, I, I, I'm not making any sense. I'm, you know, expressing to her what's going on. She's listening to me, going, "Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." And I'm like, "Why are you apologizing? Like, 
like I'm just venting to get this thing out. You're absorbing it as though you're like you did something wrong. You know, what what the hell's wrong with this? I'm being a Karen is what I'm doing, right? I'm being that person on the video who's lost their mind and the other person is apologizing because clearly they're the problem when it's really me who's the problem. So begin to self-assess and to look at your own internal workings, okay? And about the time you think you've got it all dialed in and you're perfect and you don't have these issues and you've got it all figured out, you're the best technician or the best operator or the best installer or the best this or the best that, the best that, blah, 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 whatever, is about the time that you're going to realize you're not even nearly the best. You'll never, ever be the best. If you think you are, you're not. Okay? You could be but if you were, you would have to be humble enough to know that that's not the case. To strive to be the number one of anything is a great thing, and this is a very competitive society. I'm certainly not here to say that, that competition is not good. But honestly, competition and ego can easily uh, work against you. Being humble and accepting the fact that, hey, uh, I'm not the best fire alarm technician in the world. I'm not the best instructor in the world. I'm not the best of anything in the world. I'm just me. What I do bring is a unique perspective that I'm Mike Brooks. I got that. And you could bring your unique perspective, whomever you are. You're that person. There is nobody like you but you. And there's nothing that anybody can change about you but you. If we all strived to look internally at our own issues and began to apply things like emotional intelligence, uh, begin to recognize when we get tunnel vision, begin to recognize when I'm when I'm saying I'm because I'm using my own world, my own examples, but when we ramp ourselves up over the stupidest thing, like a missing linchpin in a gate, you can then recognize the fact that you've still got a ways to go. I've still got a ways to go. And despite all my best efforts, I still always have a ways to go. And accepting that, and it's, it's kind of a humbling, kind of a humbling thing. And in and, self-reflection and self-absorption, self well, let me back up, self-reflection uh, and not being so absorbed on you uh, can sometimes uh, help you pop out of these things. I had a very unique week uh, this week. My my uh, uh, the, the lovely Mrs. Brooks never goes out of town. Um, she happened to be in some place called Maine, like 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 that's real. And uh, uh, everything uh, while she was out you know, uh, I need to handle, right, my horses and stuff like that. That's why the stress was there. That's why I couldn't see what it was missing. That's why I couldn't see the tool. It had nothing to do with her. It had nothing to do with the horses. It had everything to do with me and the fact that I'm constantly running and constantly stressed to, to, to get all these things done 
and not really thinking about the next steps here. Like, had I applied to this week, what I apply to every single day when I troubleshoot on a fire alarm system or program, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. We wouldn't. But the fact is, is that I face planted this week several times. That acknowledgement in recognizing that failure and then recognizing what it took to get over that failure and then encapsulating that and sitting in front of a microphone to teach you that, okay, is everything, everything about advancing us as a society and advancing us as technicians and advancing us as electricians. Everything about it, everything. That is what it is all about. Uh, in the olden days, if I was training you to be a, a, a mason and working in brick, every single brick I ever cut, every special design, every, every archway I built, every thing about bricks, I would have to teach my apprentice in order for that person to become a master and, and be a master mason. It's just that simple. And we sort of somehow in our culture and our society kind of lose track of that. And we all like to one-up each other. Uh, and then we look around and we go, well, this guy never makes these kind of mistakes. And this guy doesn't do this. And this guy doesn't have these kind of problems. Or this girl doesn't do that. Or she doesn't have these kind of issues. Bat squeeze. We all have these issues. Every single one of us, up until the day we drop, we'll all have these issues to deal with. So put them on the table. Lay them out, okay? Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your family about it. Look on the web and use the web for what it was designed for, and that is a resource to help you get over your own hangups and your own problems. And then get over them. Figure them out. Unsnarl it. And then teach somebody what you learned so that that doesn't stay personalized in you. Socialize it. Get it out. Say, wow, man, this happened to me. Um... That's what I'm going to leave you with today, okay? It's important because this was a real stressful thing that happened to me and as simple and as, and as ridiculous as it is now, I've had to share that with my, with, uh, with my friends here in the studio. I've shared that with my apprentice. I've shared it with my wife. I've shared it with my mother-in-law. And I think I shared it with, I think I shared it with my lead instructor uh, earlier this week. So everybody has, that I know that, that has been in my world knows that I've struggled through this, this week. Now you know. Now I just shared it with the whole damn planet. And I'm okay with that. It's going to make me stronger, better. And by sharing with you the struggles that I had with something as dumb as a missing tool, and that tunnel vision that it caused can help you advance. That is the way to solve your ground fault, to hook that back in. Because if you do have a ground fault, for example, and the power supplies are not 
equally balanced, and not every system splits 12 on one side and 12 on the other. But if you can't solve that, and if you don't have the skill sets or the steps that it takes to begin to assess how to troubleshoot those ground faults, I don't know if this is the right medium for you to do it, but I can certainly talk you through that. And most of you know my number and most of you know my email, so you can always email us and let me know. But basically, unload the board. Unload whatever you can and see when the ground fault goes away. Take stuff off of the board where the ground fault is emanating from until the ground fault clears. And if you pull everything off the board and the ground fault doesn't clear, the board's probably bad. But as you begin to remove things and you're watching the voltage, you'll see that ground fault clear. You'll see the voltage go back to where it was or the panel will indicate that last wire you pulled off or that pair of wires because some devices are fed with you know, data on one side and 24 volts on the other. You have to remove them all or it's a NAC circuit or something like that. Then you'll see that ground fault clear. That's the wire you start to troubleshoot on and then you have split it and work your way down the line. I know I made that kind of a, a brief synopsis of it and obviously it's much more detailed than that. But um, it's the best I can give you for this because really the, the lecture was more about internal focuses on yourself and internal focuses on myself. So I hope, uh, hope you got something out of that today. Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with a friend the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.